0: Welcome to the Science4Energy podcast. My name is Katharina Menke and today I'll be speaking to Loïc Le who is Principal at ERM and works on projects related to hydrogen and the energy transition. Loïc has a background in engineering and international energy management and has worked for several years in strategy consulting related to the clean energy transition and sustainability. He has also taught hydrogen economics and markets at Paris Tech, and is therefore the perfect person to talk to about hydrogen, its role in the energy transition and the business perspective on the matter. Hydrogen is currently experiencing increased momentum all around the world due to its potential to play a key role in decarbonizing our economies, especially in hard to abate sectors such as heavy-duty transport and steelmaking. We will discuss the reasons for the hydrogen hype and speak about the use cases of low-carbon hydrogen, emerging business models and the role of policies in scaling up the market. Good evening, Loic. Thanks for joining us today on the Science pour Energy podcast to speak about hydrogen and its role in decarbonization. Before starting, I think it would be great if you tell us a bit more about yourself, for example, um, what you're working on at ERM and how it's related to hydrogen.
1: Yes, thanks very much, first, for, for the invitation. My name is Loic Logar. I'm a principal consultant at ERM, Environmental Risk Management, which is one of the biggest leading sustainability consultants in the world. We are approximately uh, 6,000 constants over 50 countries, and uh, everything we do is related to to sustainability. So we help uh, public and private organizations to transition to to the low-carbon economy, and and we support them in that journey and to mitigate as well their environmental uh, footprint. We offer quite a wide range of services from very early-stage prospective studies to understand the role of new low-carbon energies, such as hydrogen, we work quite a lot uh, as well with the investment sector, uh, helping in, uh, investor to better understand the, the risk associated with uh, these, uh, low carbon energies. And also we work on corporate strategy uh, questions, and we have questions like should I enter the PEM uh, electrolyzer market for example, and finally we had to deliver capital project, from the financing of this project to uh, the permitting and uh, the delivery of this project through environmental impact assessment. So this is quite a long end-to-end value proposition. And regarding hydrogen, we have quite a long-standing experience working on, on hydrogen projects in the world. I think one of the best examples is uh, what we've done in the UK over the past years. We worked on most of the of the projects uh, regarding the conversion of natural gas infrastructures to, to hydrogen or the bulk export of hydrogen to different forms, uh, ammonia, LOHC, uh, etc. And uh, we have acquired uh, recently three strategy energy specialist consistencies, which are Element Energy, Tech, and RCG, the Renewable Consulting Group. And it brings a new force of 200 consultants uh, dedicated to, to the low carbon energy space, but 30% of them work directly on hydrogen-rated emissions. And we do think that uh, combining all or strengths together form quite a unique value proposition and we have quite an unrivaled experience, at least in Europe.
0: Okay, thanks a lot. This sounds super interesting and I think you're the right person to make this episode on hydrogen. So maybe we can start with the general background in hydrogen and its role in decarbonizing our economies. In the last years, more and more governments have been announcing national hydrogen strategies. In the news, we can read about new hydrogen pilot projects nearly every day. And countries start to engage in so-called hydrogen diplomacy, such as Germany or Chile. So what are the reasons for this current hydrogen hype? And why is hydrogen needed in order to reach our decarbonization goals?
1: Yes, for sure there is a hype. And behind every hype, there is a bit of irrationality, Mm -hmm. uh, I think. And we should be cautious about uh, what we read, about hydrogen, what, uh, what is announced. If we take the example of technologies such as 3D printing or Google Glass, uh, technologies which were announced to revolution or daily lives, uh, so far nothing happened. And I think we should always like, be a bit cautious about how such technologies which are announced in the public space will evolve. Uh, this afternoon I, I've seen a video from the World Economic Forum promoting hydrogen uh, mainly with video showing passenger cars, but in this case, and I think like hydrogen became also famous because of this vision of passenger cars, hydrogen-powered passenger cars, just emitting water. But it's not going to really happen, because in most of case, electric uh, batteries and electric battery vehicles are are pretty more efficient uh, than an internal uh, combustion engine using uh, using hydrogen. So, so yeah, my first thing is say uh, okay, there is a hype, but yeah, we should be a bit cautious about what we hear. Um, and uh, the future might be not as uh, as we see it in the different videos. I think also that there is a hype for sure, but about all energy. So hydrogen is not new. In the '30s, we had hydrogen-powered zeppelins, so aircraft. One of them was uh, Hindenburg, which gave the name of the famous disaster in the 1930s. 37 when uh, this balloon just exploded and just uh, burned in five minutes. But uh, so uh, today's the space rockets also take off with, with hydrogen. In the past, we had like tonne gas, which were composed of 50% of hydrogen. And we speak today about injecting 20% of hydrogen into the existing pipelines, but we had like 50% here in the past. So just few examples to show that hydrogen is not new first, and uh, there is also an existing market. So hydrogen, it's uh, like a commodity market. We produce and consume 70 million tons of H2 every year. But that's obviously fossil-based hydrogen, gray H2, which consumes actually like 6% of natural gas resources in the world, 2% of coal to produce this fossil-based hydrogen, which fills uh, mainly three sectors. First one is uh, refineries. So we use hydrogen to desulfur hydrocarbons. The second one is for the production of ammonia and H3, which uh, makes uh, fertilizers. And the third one is for metal processing for uh, the direct reduction of, of iron. We also like to produce hydrogen as a mixture of gas in the production of methanol or other uh, chemical products. But we will have this, this market and a 70 million of ton of H2 without our product. And it's a quite a carbon-intensive business because it emits around 800 million of tons of CO2, so 1 to 10 ratio. And so there are obviously new reasons and rational reasons for uh, the development, actual development of hydrogen and which explain also this hype. I think the first one is that over the, the past years, many constancies, research institutes, multilateral organizations, governments, Converge to the fact that a full decarbonization of the energy system will require molecule based solution and green molecule based solution and mainly hydrogen molecules and because we won't be able to electrify everything there will be still some sectors hardware based sectors and especially also the, the heavy transport that will need uh, molecule based solutions and now you can uh, read like different scenarios ranging from 12% for the IEA or IRENA to 22% for the most optimistic one from the Hydrogen Council or, or Bloomberg of hydrogen in the final global demand in 2050. So there is a huge market according to these scenarios. And uh, the first reason is again because we need this molecule based solution. And because in some sectors, is, uh, you will need like a, a very high quality. Flame at high temperature, for example, like if you are a glass manufacturer in the cement industry, in the chemical industry, and where it would be hard to electrify everything and to replace all your current energy. That's also, I think, in my opinion, quite unlikely that we'll be able to deploy a super charging infrastructure, such as Tesla one, everywhere. And so we'll need hydrogen as as a molecule. A, A second reason is that hydrogen will also support. The development of renewable electricity at a global scale. Because you have an inadequacy between countries where renewable electricity is the cheapest, such as Saudi Arabia, Chile, Tibet, even, and the countries with the highest demand. And hydrogen will serve as an energy vector to transport this energy to the place with the highest demand in different forms, into the form of liquid H2 or ammonia. Or what we call liquid organic carriers, and that would be a role of hydrogen that yeah, to to enable, yeah, to access to the cheapest renewable electricity resources worldwide. And hydrogen has a role to play to support the development of a low-carbon based electricity system with a lot of intermittent electricity, because it has been seen for several years now that through power to gas, hydrogen can also store intermittent electricity especially in the gas pipelines. In France, we estimate that we have a storage capacity of 150 terawatt-hour into the gas pipeline infrastructure. And there's the cheap, long-term, uh, seasonal storage. And uh, that's the role uh, and reason for why uh, hydrogen is being developed because of the development of renewable electricity also. so. But the environmental factor is not also the only one. If we take the example of Japan, Japan was the first country which just released a national hydrogen strategy in, in 2017. And I had the opportunity to go there a year after, and we asked two different Japanese players why we decided like to, to develop hydrogen. And uh, the first reason we had wasn't like an environmental un- reason or a reason to de- to deploy renewable electricity, but it was a question of electricity supply, uh, energy supply, and de uh, risk of the energy bill of the country. Because after Fukushima, the country, had to import and to pay a very high price for natural gas, up to $18 per MBTU. And by uh, using hydrogen, which is a very versatile energy, you can uh, decrease your dependency to iron and gas producers. Because hydrogen, you can uh, produce it for, from natural gas, from coal. And actually, uh, quite surprising, the the only liquid hydrogen carrier we have, a ship which uh, arrived last days uh, through the I- 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 Istra project in, in Japan have like fossil based liquid hydrogen coming from australia and not green hydrogen but yeah you can produce from, from coal from natural gas from biomass uh, from water electricity from from sun nuclear etc and so you diversify your own energy sources and you you decrease your dependency to, to oil and gas exporting countries while controlling your energy bill and that's for sure uh, quite an interesting also aspect uh, of hydrogen and uh, you mentioned in your introduction that we have seen like recently some memorandum of understanding and uh, uh, between different countries in the world and and definitely there are geopolitics of of hydrogen that's going to reshape the world and uh, we can think about that with the current ukrainian crisis and what would be actually the position of of germany in this crisis uh, with a lower share of natural of nourishing natural gas in their pipelines
0: Okay, thanks a lot. I think we're already seeing that there's so many topics related to hydrogen, we could do several episodes. Um, I just want to stay on this topic of the hydrogen hype for a moment. We see this huge amounts of funding going into hydrogen. Do you think there's a risk that this is diverting funds away from more direct ways to reduce emissions, such as renovating buildings or deploying more renewables in the power sector, if our main goal is decarbonizing as fast as possible?
1: Yes, yeah, true that uh, first we see a lot of funding. We've seen in uh, recent years, so from the first one in, in 2017, uh, 30 national strategies and coming also with public funding, and 70 billion of dollars have been put uh, in the table through these uh, strategies. Uh, at the same time, we have like uh, 300 gigawatts of projects, of projects, project which are, are being developed. Uh, and so, uh, there is obviously like a lot of money coming, and we can wonder if this money goes in the best application. but yeah, I think we should also uh, question the value of hydrogen beyond the pure energy efficiency or economic or environmental factor, because sometimes has rise uh, not for again like very rational reasons, if we take the example of of the first uh, electricity grid for example, in the u s they were very inefficient but yeah, it did not prevent people from using electricity appliances to develop further electricity grids. If you take the example of of Tesla, Tesla did not start by selling very cheap cars and uh, obviously there was a value for uh, people to drive a luxury car, which was also a low carbon car. And if you ask the question to the hydrogen truck drivers, of course these uh, trucks are, are very expensive. But uh, there is value because that uh, high performance, not a lot of noise. There's value for the municipalities too because there is an an absence of of emissions. So we should question this value of hydrogen beyond the pure economic, environmental, energy efficiency factor. These are the first things. But however, of course, to succeed in the energy transition, we should ensure that the public support and funding go to sectors where it makes more sense. And regarding H2, I think there are like many companies, such as oil and gas companies, we see Argent as a way to avoid stranded assets. For, take the example of, of natural gas pipeline operators, who are, yeah, they, they, they won't see any future without green gas in their pipeline. Renewable electricity and nuclear electricity also see a way uh, to extend the electricity production too. And in the context of the energy transition, where we need to decrease... Uh, radically or or consumption, hydrogen could be seen as a way to to still uh, keep or current level of consumption or increase our consumption, and I think we'll be we should be cautious uh, about uh, this, this role uh, of hydrogen or how it is promoted by, by some players. And another thing I would like to say it's there is uh, there's also this question be with blue hydrogen, and that's a big debate that uh, countries are of different position on it because. Installing dedicated renewable electricity capacities for the production of green H2 could prevent the decarbonization of the existing grid. And, and for that, blue hydrogen could be um, a transition, a solution for, for transition.
0: Yeah, concerning blue hydrogen, actually, I wanted to speak about that a bit later, but we can also directly dive into that. It's actually not so sure how many greenhouse gas emissions are related to blue hydrogen. For example, there was a study, I think, published this August, um, which was pretty critical. So do you think that blue hydrogen can be a really clean hydrogen? And how can we address the risk of locking in fossil fluids in our energy system of tomorrow?
1: Yeah, there is obviously this, uh, this uh, American study. Uh, I think if you, if you read the study, you realize that they, they've taken like uh, the, the most pessimistic uh, assumptions. Uh, and uh, as a result, uh, if you have this sensitivity analysis, you can realize in some case, for some uh, blue hydrogen project, effectively, you... You, you cannot uh, really save CO2 emissions. But it's without considering, I think, like uh, the evolution of, uh, of uh, the energy efficiency of, of uh, some technologies. And again, like the assumptions were quite uh, pessimistic in, in, in my view. Uh, I do think that uh, the, the challenge is huge. And uh, to decarbonize, we should be a bit colorblind of, of H2 of course can be seen as a way to, 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 to lock the consumption of natural gas. But my my view is considering the the current challenge and how fast we have to go and considering the fact that many countries need dedicated renewable electricity again to the mix, we should consider blue hydrogen in many geographies.
0: Blue hydrogen is especially promoted as a transitionary um solution. Until green hydrogen is cost competitive, how is this picture changing at the moment with the very high gas and electricity prices?
1: Yes, so you have different contracts. First, you can obviously have uh, uh, your electricity uh, purchased on, on the sport market, which is not uh, the, the best uh, uh, idea right now. But that's a situation hopefully of a few months, a few years, and we should see development of green hydrogen in, 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 in the long term. But I think like the, the current situation encourage uh, many companies and, um uh, yeah, to yeah, to de-risk uh, this kind of situations through a long term contract but like the, the rationals are that low carbon electricity uh, will decrease the price of of renewable uh intermittent electricity will decrease and uh, uh and definitely we see now a way uh, I think that's one of the main results of the last year's to uh to reach the cost parity with this grey hydrogen in in the next years so, even if blue hydrogen would remain more competitive in uh, the next years, because like uh, right now, like so, just to give back the figures, so, so, grey fossil based uh, hydrogen is produced around one to two euros per kilogram of H2, whereas green hydrogen through electrolysis is produced between five and eight euros per kilogram now. There is still this gap, and uh, like the, the most competitive option now of low carbon hydrogen is blue hydrogen while you still produce your hydrogen through the fossil based pathway especially steam methane reforming but with carbon capture and the cost of adding carbon capture is not that much actually at the end it's uh, add uh, another 50 cents to one euro per kilogram so you can still have a two euro 2.5 euro per kilogram of h2 in some geographies especially for natural gas producers uh, i think about russia asking. About the US or the Middle East, and it's a quite uh, a, a cost competitive uh, option. But what we see is arriving to this cost parity of between green hydrogen and grey hydrogen uh, will require so two things. Uh, first is um, uh, the decrease of the cost of electrolyzers by five of electrolyzer in the next years. But due to the economy of scale, we do think that's possible in five, eight, ten. Years, next year now, and an electricity price around uh, 20 euros per megawatt hour, which is not easy to get for, 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 for solar wind, but definitely achievable in some geographies. If you speak about Chile or, or the Middle East or even even Portugal. And in, in this context, I think the, the question is uh, whether we produce uh, in the North Sea hydrogen uh, from electricity coming from offshore wind mills at 40, 50 euros per megawatt hour. Or we try to get a, a hydrogen uh, with electrolyzers uh, running at 20 euros per megawatt and other geographies uh, adding the cost of transporting it into europe
0: yeah i think and when we're speaking of the costs as you already said delivery is really an important part could you maybe speak a bit about the different transport options of hydrogen and maybe also the different cost of the different technologies
1: yeah sure so First, I have mentioned, so uh, if you'd like to transport hydrogen overseas, you have three main pathways. The first one is to transport hydrogen into a liquefied form, uh, because that's one of the main characteristics of hydrogen. It takes a lot of place, and uh, so the, the most optimal condition is to transport it at, in a liquefied stage, but it requires a lot of energy, because you have to liquefy it to a minus 253 degrees or to compress it uh, at 700 bars, which is like uh, the economic optimum in this compression, but that's also very heavy tanks. And so that's the first pathway, so liquefied hydrogen. Uh, The second one is ammonia, and the third one is what we call liquid organic carriers, and uh, so basically you attach your hydrogen molecule to another molecule, where that you can store at, at a good operating condition and when it arrives at your port, you disattach your your hydrogen molecules, uh, so that hydrogenation, hydrogenation uh cycle, so every other technology has some, some advantages and, and, and drawbacks. speaking about liquefied hydrogen, so I talk about it that's uh, the cost of liquefaction, and also uh, you need like to handle a cryogenic infrastructure, speaking about ammonia. Harmonia have many different advantages. Mm, that's a, a commodity market today. So we have the infrastructure to, to to store ammonia currently, and one of the interesting point is that you can retrofit some diesel engine in some boats and running it with ammonia. So you have boats transporting ammonia, but at the same time like consuming ammonia for for its own needs. And third interesting option is that. If you transport ammonia, it arrives to port, and you have a gas power plant, you can directly burn ammonia to produce electricity, and so you don't have the cost of retransforming ammonia into hydrogen. But obviously, ammonia is, is very uh, toxic, uh, quite dangerous fuel, and we can question whether public authorities will uh, will enable and authorize uh, like the, the distribution of, of of ammonia in lands. So the third option is uh, liquid organic carriers, and. So there's really the advantage like you, you can store it uh, at um, um, yeah, really good uh, pressure and temperature conditions. Uh, but a uh, thing like what you need to, uh, to re-extract hydrogen for, from the, the molecule, um, you need uh, uh, quite a lot of, of energy uh, because you need uh, quite a, a high temperature, and uh, that's quite costly. And in summary, when you compare the three main technologies to, to transport hydrogen overseas, there's recent studies show that ammonia or LOHE should be uh, the best option, uh, depending on the case. But uh, yeah, definitely that will be uh, the main option for the, the, the transport by, by sea. Now there is a question of transport inland. And pipeline and, um, and storage in salt caverns are, are quite uh, interesting and cheap options. Whereas the transport by, by trucks uh, in a, a compressed uh, tank uh, are quite costly. Uh, for example in, in California right now yeah, hydrogen is about twelve dollars per kilogram at the refine station, but half of this cost is is a transport cost uh, because uh, transporting by by truck is quite 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 costly so yeah the uh, very a uh, very good option is to use pipelines, but there are constraints uh, related to that that you cannot inject uh, as much as hydrogen you would like uh, because up to like five six percent there is no real issue, but from six percent to to 10% uh, you start to change some equipment between 10 and 20 you start to you start to, to, to replace some, some yeah heavier equipment and because like the hydrogen molecule is quite is quite small it leaks quite uh, quite easily and that's a very inflammable gas too. But above 20% uh, the investment needed are, are, are very so huge so it prevents you to inject more than twenty percent of H2 into your existing existing pipeline. So you have two options from this point you can either create a new dedicated H2 pipeline, or you can transform your hydrogen into synthetic methane because what we have in our pipeline is natural gas, which is methane, and you combine H2 with CO2 through a methanation step and you inject it into into the pipeline. So there is now uh, this uh, European backbone initiative uh, with different transport system operators, gas TSOs in Europe, uh, and the vision is uh, uh, to start to create some pipeline infrastructures close to the ports close, close to industrial clusters and it already exists. We have like a few uh, hundred kilometers of high h two pipeline actually which have been deployed by by uh, for example air liquid in the, in, the, in 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 the benelux and uh, so we are going to yeah, to to continue to do that to have like dedicated h two pipelines and and uh, a second step would be like to to link this industrial cluster and then a third step to create a new dedicated H2 pipeline infrastructure in Europe. So we are going to rebuild uh, uh, a new infrastructure.
0: So in this case, the hydrogen would be transported from other parts of the world to a port in Europe and then be transported within Europe to some industrial clusters. Is that the idea?
1: Yeah, but the good uh, thing is that most of the industrial clusters, they are close to ports. And there is still this big question of how to transport and to distribute hydrogen close to some industrial needs which are uh, in the middle of the country. And I think this question is not studied enough. And there is still like many uncertainties about how we're going to, you to transport in the middle of the uh, of country if you have industry there.
0: So I think we've spoken now a lot about the hydrogen production methods, use cases, and also infrastructure perspective. And maybe now it's a good point to shift a bit more to a business-focused perspective, because I think that's um, your main background. So, where is investment in hydrogen projects mostly taking place right now, from a project based p- perspective?
1: Well, we see a, a lot of uh, projects uh, right now in the hydrogen production mm-hmm. and in the electricity electrolysis uh, production for for for, for sure. Uh, I think that project right now also needs some support, and uh, so it really depends on uh, where uh, this uh, the support go. And so in Europe, you have like different. Uh, Different supports. So you have the Innovation Fund, uh, the IPCAI, so the project of of common interests. And um, if we if we look at uh, the project which were awarded uh, recently, there were obviously uh, many uh, projects for hydrogen production, uh, but also uh, for the decarbonisation of uh, of uh, hard to abate sectors, uh, such as uh, the steel industry, for example. And and I think uh, that as this project right now are, are not profitable enough without any incentives or subsidies. There is um, really um, a way for, for, for policies that to, to redirect, uh, uh, like raise investment where we, re- we really need hydrogen. And again, we really need hydrogen not for passenger cars, but mainly in hardware based sectors and for the heavy industry.
0: Okay, and which low carbon hydrogen business models do you see emerging? Like, uh, Could you give us some? Very specific examples of how it might look like.
1: Well, I I think it really depends. Like hydrogen could possibly replace natural gas Uh, in uh, this way. uh, There won't be really a new business model. I mean, if you Mm. are a gas pipeline operator and you are going to transport uh, hydrogen, you are going to charge your expeditor and the consumer. I think the quite the same way, just like the calorific value of the gas will change. But of course, you can see like new uh business model uh, appearing maybe for decentralized application, but unfortunately hydrogen is is not the best play for hydrogen it's, uh it will be preferable in centralized application uh but if we take like an example um fuel sales residential fuel sales uh in japan uh they, they try to boost demand by installing two hundred or three hundred thousand of residential fuel sales uh you can see that if you if you work in tokyo or 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 Osaka, for example, and uh, these fuel cells. So right now they work with natural gas, but they are H2 ready, and so they receive the gas and they produce electricity and heat at the same time. And that's quite quite a clever move from natural gas or gas companies to take uh, some shares of the electricity market because they provide both now, not just uh, heat through through gas, but electricity as well. Uh, that's an example of, of a new business model for a gas producer, gas supplier, uh, uh, using hydrogen.
0: Okay, and um, could you maybe give me some example of a new business model of a totally new player? For example, setting up hydrogen refueling stations combined with hydrogen production or something like that? Or is it more that a company would only cover one small part of the value chain?
1: I don't see a very big move as we've seen, for example, uh, with Tesla, who decided both to, to sell cars and to install the refring, uh infrastructure. Yeah, companies like providing fuels, uh, let's say uh, Shell, BP, Total, will provide hydrogen in their refueling station. Again, the same players such as natural gas, operators will uh, will transport hydrogen. Uh, strangely enough, the company which has installed uh, hydrogen pipelines in uh, the last years uh, are not the one which are with the, the, the highest interest in installing uh, new H2 pipelines. No, I, I don't really see any, uh, any uh, new big move uh, against mm. that. Yeah.
0: Okay, so assume there will soon be some certification for low carbon hydrogen. What do you think is the current willingness to pay for such hydrogen compared to usual grey hydrogen? And how fast do you think will this change?
1: Well, I think the willingness of paying is uh, directly linked to uh, how it's going to impact your, your business model. If you can have green hydrogen, but at the same time have a green premium on the product you sell, definitely there would be an interest. But I can take the example of a, yeah, a business model I'm developing right now for steel decarbonization for a uh, steel manufacturer. And so we, are, they are going to replace one blast furnace with uh, hydrogen-powered technology, and at the end, so they are going to to sell some green steel. But replacing uh, this uh, blast furnace with hydrogen uh, will, uh, impact fact, rebadies That they are going to lose like 120 million of euros a year, and um, like two billion of euros of, over like uh, 20 uh, years of, of, of project lifetime. And uh, definitely, if there is not an interest from, uh, for example, automotive uh, manufacturer to, uh, to purchase uh, green steel for luxury cars, for example, at a higher price, there will be no business model. So, yeah, to answer your question, I think it's not really, uh, really much a question of, uh, of price beginning, but how much is going to impact your business model and if there is an opportunity to have a green premium on, on your final project.
0: And I guess the role of regulation is also crucial. For example, by public procurement for green steel.
1: For sure. And uh, the regulation can, can impact in, uh, in many different ways the way you, you develop the market by, by boosting its demand. What you just told is, uh, is one example. Uh, but also by, by, by uh, like boosting its demand through, through incentives, so through, 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 through su- subsidies, but also boosting the innovation with a dedicated uh, programs. And the regulation, again, can ensure the most optimal allocation uh, of this new energy to uh, the uh, application where it makes the most sense.
0: Okay, so we see that demand side policies are really important to scale up the hydrogen or green hydrogen market. In the last IEA's Global Hydrogen Review published um, last autumn, maybe you read it, it was stated that actually there's a lack of policies on the demand side compared to the supply side at the moment. Do you agree with this statement? And if yes, what are the consequences of this imbalance of policies?
1: Well, I think both exist. Um, if you take the example of uh, uh, the, the the aviation sector, uh, so we have like uh, this uh, new uh, refuel aviation initiative uh, with uh, a mandate like to 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 have like 0.7 uh, percent of uh, sustainable aviation fuel up to uh, 2030 and and up to 30 percent in 2050. So. That, that that's a way again, like to 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 boost uh, demand by by really some, some shares and of of incorporation of of renewable fuels and hydrogen in in, in your in your in your application. So I would say it exists for sure, but if the question is is that's uh, not enough, I think when you directly uh, model some projects such as the one uh, I was speaking about uh, with uh, steel uh, manufacturing, you see that's going really to be hard uh, for uh, these players to keep their profitability or even like to, to keep their business at all without uh, a higher level of subsidies because now the gap is so huge and uh, uh, between like the, the cost of conventional hydrogen or, or of the conventional energy they use uh, and green hydrogen uh, that uh, we need a, a very big amount of support and, and subsidies and so it could come directly by funding the project but or as we said like maybe to, to boost demand about uh, boosting the demand there will also this creation of your your vests uh, uh behind uh, you do are, are we rich enough to to afford that
0: thanks a lot Ericrick. that was super insightful. I would like to finish by a little look in the crystal ball. Where do you see hydrogen use in two thousand fifty? Would it be a commodity globally traded similar to oil and gas today
1: yeah so I think like to to establish market first you need uh infrastructure uh you don't have a market without it uh so what's going to happen also up to to uh, like the next decades is that we're going like to to, to deploy a new uh, pipeline infrastructure of 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 h2 and create a, a new market on that so i think that's going to be a reality where it's going to to, to change to a commodity market thanks to uh, uh this new infrastructure uh, again uh, due to the the fact that we need like to uh to export energy over a, a large a distance, definitely we have also a transport market of of uh, of energy uh, through a hydrogen-based uh, molecule because hydrogen is first energy vector.
0: Great, thanks a lot, Luc, for being on the podcast, and hopefully speak to you another time again.
1: Thanks very much for the invitation.
0: Thank you for listening to the Science for Energy podcast, recorded and produced in Paris by Katharina Menke with the help of Philipp Horster, Giulio Atese and the team of Radio Germain, the Sciences Po Students' Radio. If you like the podcast, then feel free to leave a rating on iTunes or wherever you are listening. If you're an undergraduate student and you're interested in energy, then have a look at the program offered by Sciences Po.